0: This is Real Estate Rookie, Episode One Hundred and Six. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host Tony Robinson, and we are getting super excited for the Bigger Pockets Conference. Make sure you guys get your ticket at biggerpockets.com forward slash conference, and we will see you guys there. Because if you listen to Wednesday's episode, you guys found out that we are the actual. MCs of the conference. And we're so excited.
1: Yeah, super excited. I mean, and we've got some really good uh, keynote speakers lined up. You got Hal Elrod, uh, Brandon Turner, of course, Ken Corsini, David Green, Mindy, Scott, myself, Ashley. So lots of really good people coming up on stage. So if you guys want to spend a couple days in New Orleans with uh, all your favorite real estate investors, then make sure you guys head over to biggerpockets.com forward slash conference to pick up your tickets.
0: There is also going to be a panel on short-term rentals. And Sarah Robinson, the one and only our hype girl, is going to be on that panel. I, I'm so excited for that.
1: Yeah, so if you guys want to meet my lovely, crazy, energetic wife, then make sure you guys come to that short-term rental panel as well.
0: So today is going to be a part two of Wednesday show. So if you didn't listen to that show, go back and listen to it. We brought on an attorney who specializes in asset protection and today he is going to be answering questions from rookie investors.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the first episode was like a, a crash course on asset protection. But today uh, we got some guest interaction, some live audience interaction. People were submitting their questions and I think really just kind of clarified a lot of the concepts that we went over in Wednesday's episode. So you guys are going to get a lot of value from it. Uh, I know you will. So let's dive in. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way?
2: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com BP. Rookies, 2024
1: is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. Head over to CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets.
0: Okay, Brian, welcome back for our Saturday episode. If you guys didn't listen, Brian was here on Wednesday where we did a full interview, and now we're going to do some Q and A with some rookie listeners today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me back on, and like it's going to be fun. Hopefully, I didn't blow up anybody's mind too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I even after that recording, I was thinking I need to go back and I need to listen to this again, and I need to to take even more notes. Uh, Yeah, we didn't even get into the fun (laughs)
3: stuff. Yeah, like the power of the (laughs) the power of the offshore trust. Like that's where. People's mind really is like, oh my god. Yeah. Okay, well maybe
0: that will come up as one of our questions <laughs> yeah. today. <All> right. <laughs> okay, so the first question we can jump into is Adrian. So Adrian's question is, can I create an LLC and sell my rental property to the LLC? You
3: would just transfer it out of your name into the LLC, and so um, that just quick, you know, you can quick claim deed it. Into your LLC.
1: Got it. Okay, I'll, I'll take the next one here. So this one is from Jason, and the question is: Will converting uh, my rental property from personally owned to LLC trigger a taxable event?
3: That's a that's a good question. It could trigger an assessment if you're not using a trust, like a grantor's trust. If you're using an asset protection grantor's trust, then you know generally no. Um, and then if you're in California, what was it? I think Title Nine got changed, like Title Thirteen. Or something like that with um you know taxable events addressing that, and that's not going to affect the transfer either because that just affects you know the asset transfers upon death and beneficiaries. Um, but every state's going to be different on that, so I would talk to your cPA and attorney on that one, depending on the state that you're in. Generally, not the systems we use because we're using grant. Got futures. it. So
1: one to one follow-up question to that, Brian, and, and we didn't touch on this in the original episode, but explain the difference to us between an LLC and a trust and why you feel that a trust is like that top layer of protection.
3: Yeah. So an asset protection trust is completely... It's not a business entity. And so... Trusts have been around since the Roman times. And so I really like asset protection trust because they're the longest lasting entities of all entities. And they go, like I said, back to the Roman times for holding assets. Like you go and fight a war, you would put your assets into a type of trust for somebody to watch for you while you went and fought a war. But when done right, they're just very strong and they can be sculpted to fit how you need them. And they can morph as you need them without dealing with funding issues that you see with LLCs and other business entities to where if I'm trying to pierce an LLC, I just look at how it was funded and then how you manage your money. And then I'm going to pierce it like you know 9.9 out of 10 times. So I just love trust. And there's so much case law supporting them and their strength. They should be the very top of your planning every time because they're so powerful and this is where creating that asset protection trust and more importantly, picking the proper jurisdiction to set them up in, comes into play. And then trusts, you know, like we we're talking about, come in lots of different flavors and types. You have the standard 101 trust that everybody's familiar with from like back in the 60s, the family revocable living trust. Because you know, like trust don't die, so when you do and you actually funded your trust by transferring ownership and title to it, which most people forget, they create their family estate plan, but then they forget to transfer the assets into it. Um, so make sure if you have a family trust and estate plan, like make sure you transfer your assets into there. Um, but you don't have to go through the courts and probate, you know, and it just changed the landscaping of estate planning. And then you also have, like we talked about, land trusts for real estate that hold your land, and you connect them to LLCs. But then land trusts don't have any protection in and of themselves. You know they're only as strong as the LLC that you connect it to, and those are easily pierced. So from there, you have higher levels of trust, and they're called asset protection trusts. And these came about in the early 1980s. And what these all really are, they're called self-settled spendthrift trusts, meaning they're created by you. For yourself as your own beneficiary with creditor protection from spendthrift provisions. And you can create them three ways onshore, meaning here in the US domestically, offshore in another country like the Cook Islands, where I prefer, or you can create kind of a hybrid beth- best of both standards um, called the Bridge Trust.
1: Okay. So just added protection, really, and kind of the, the top layer of protection. And just to clarify, you recommend doing that as kind of like the final step once your net worth reaches a certain level. Correct.
3: Correct. Generally, we would be using a bridge trust around one million unprotected net assets, mm-hmm. and so on the metric side, when you're just starting out, zero to under you know 150 you know thousand, you're looking at LLCs and insurance. When you get to about 250 to 500 thousand, that's where we start talking about that limited partnership, and it just has so many benefits to it. That's why we use the limited partnership. And then, when you get between eight hundred and fifty to one, you know, thousand to one point two million, that's when we start talking about asset protection trusts because it takes most people a very long time to build that, and then one lawsuit can completely wipe Mm -hmm. it away. And so, when you're talking about offshore protection with LLCs, limited partnerships, and an asset protection trust like a bridge trust, all together combined, that full package is generally on average around twenty nine thousand dollars. To spend one time twenty nine thousand less than your cheap car, you know, in in your garage, mm-hmm. to protect one million plus from a doomsday scenario that's going to completely wipe you out. I mean, the value at that point is mm-hmm. there. Before that, it's not.
0: And once again, we had mentioned this uh, briefly in the last episode that we recorded with you on Wednesday. That you figure this into your numbers, paying for these kinds of things to happen. If you want to grow a net worth, at you know, you're a rookie investor now, and you know that you want to grow that out. Factor in some kind of cost into your properties that the, you know, your cash flow is going to cover that $29,000 down the road. And that's put into your numbers. Because if you're analyzing deals now and you're not incorporating your attorney fees or your CPA fees, that can really cut into your costs down the road. So plan for it now when you are analyzing deals so that going forward, you you don't have to worry about these costs because it's already cut into your deal. You already know that you're going to be pulling out that no- that money to pay for these things going forward.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say that's a great piece of advice, and I'll use an example for this. I have again a California client. You know, not a client because he just keeps calling. Um, I think <laughs> information seeking. But in a massive class action lawsuit, he has, you know, his portfolio is around 25 million. Each property is in California. So each one's worth, you know, 1 million plus. Um, and he's in a massive class action lawsuit. Calls me after the fact. What can I do? I don't want to pay this lawsuit. And it's a class action for like wage claims and stuff like that. So that's not going to be able to be insurance, isn't going to cover you. It's not going to cover you for that type of lawsuit. Sorry. Um, and so there's nothing I can do. You're too far down the rabbit hole. I have to exempt the lawsuit, create the protection planning to go forward. So you have to think and budget for this stuff beforehand. Otherwise, once a lawsuit and you're sued when you're like, oh man, now I need to create my asset protection plan. Sorry. It doesn't work at that point. It's like trying to go and get insurance after you get a car accident.
1: All right. So we, we've got one more follow-up question here from Jason as well, uh, Brian. So, uh, Jason's question is, can I put two properties That are in different states into one LLC? It's
3: a great question. Can you? Yes. Would I recommend it? No. And so I'm going to just use like Ohio and Tennessee. The laws in states are different. And so they're going to have different damages laws, tort laws. They're going to have different liability laws. You don't want one asset and lawsuit from one state. Like we'll just say you're getting sued for your Tennessee property to affect your Ohio property. So I would not recommend bleeding them together like that. I would separate them out into a Tennessee LLC and an Ohio LLC, and then put those two LLCs into a limited partnership.
0: Okay. We have uh, the next question is from Richard Bumate. I'm currently living in Texas, and I was wondering if I house hack a multifamily property for my first investment and get an FHA loan and live on one side for a year and rent out the other side, Will renting out the other side through an LLC protect me from a worst case scenario of getting sued and having those related costs or potential losses come out of pocket? For example, will my personal assets be shielded by my LLC in this scenario because the cost or potential losses will only affect my LLC?
3: Well, the other thing about Texas is you have homestead protection. Rights there, so if you're living in there, then it's going to shield you through, you know, the, the homestead exemption because it's your personal residence. Um, but generally, an LLC can, can be pierced. That's the limitation of LLCs. Um, so I would say you get some homestead protection from there, and look in like with each state, how much that's going to be because every state is going to be different. Texas has very very strong homestead um, rights from there. House hacking is great. Just realize, you know, like it's not just your house hacking. So it's not just your personal residence at that point. It's also going to be considered a partial percentage of your house is going to be a business at that point. Um, so I would talk to a Texas specific attorney on that liability issue right there to where you need to understand if I am getting sued and I'm house hacking my property, how much is my homestead exemption in that state going to apply? Because it's not just my personal residence. It's also my you know, business entity. Okay. And I would also say like with Texas and a lot of the South, you have these series LLCs. I only recommend you using those series LLCs if you are both a resident of a state that acknowledges them and has series LLC legislation and the asset that you own recognizes them as well. Versus like if you're a Texas resident and you own a California property and you put it into a Texas series LLC, well, and you got sued in California, California doesn't recognize them. They would just say, well, too bad. Sorry. We don't recognize that.
4: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, Find out how much at airbnb.com
1: slash host. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com/bp rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com/bp rookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com/bp rookie.
5: Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered.
1: All right. So the, the next question here is from Dennis Callahan. And Dennis's question is, how should I best structure an LLC partnership to avoid having separate bank accounts for every single LLC to avoid co-mingling of funds? Currently, I have homes in my name, my partner's name, who's my brother, and in two partnership LLCs. And it has become crazy at tax time, but we're working to have all of the homes and LLCs? And we're 50, 50 owners on all of these
3: in upstate New York. Yeah, that's a great, great question is that as you grow, you're going to be accumulating a lot more LLCs and a lot more assets. That's the, where you want to consolidate into a limited partnership and then have that limited partnership. They're called... You, when you use limited partnerships for investing as a management company, they're called asset management limited partnerships. That's where you would create your main business account through. And that would be that management company would be doing your contracting, your vending. You would have your business account set up into there. You would have all your LLCs owned into that limited partnership. And so it would just be owning those limited partnerships. Your business entity would be that management company, that limited partnership. And then you would just have your business bank account set up there. And then you will just pay yourself through disbursements into your personal bank account from that point on. So it cleans up your system. And you know, like, there's a lot of benefits to that second layer um, being a limited partnership or family limited partnership. Um, they're like LLCs. You know, like you're going to have some charging order protection and i like them better at that second layer because they have very distinct delineations between the management partner called the general partner and a minority partner who does not so think of an lp as having a split personality which an llc can't have so we we like having both a general partner interest and a limited partner interest and we use the limited partner at that starting point for clients as you know for the holding companies or the management companies and then we add a bridge trust or the asset protection trust for the actual asset protection component, because a limited partnership isn't going to have any more protection than just an LLC, but they have really good built-in um, specific reasons that I use them. And I specifically like Arizona at, for the limited partnership over a Wyoming LLC or others to consolidate all of this is because you have exclusive charging order protection in Arizona as the only remedy for creditors in a, of a partnership but it has to be of a partnership. Um, So LLCs, you don't have that. Um, You have an actual statutory, so a statutory distinction between general partners and limited partners. And this is by statute. And so this is better than an LLC because LLCs can only do this by an operating agreement that a court will then have to interpret. And then you're up to the judge's interpretation. And that can just be whatever his mood is at that time and whether he doesn't like the color of your clothing at that time. And so that's how crazy these things can get. We have ARS section 29-333, which specifically allows for a limited partnership to make what we call a unilateral withdrawal from a limited partnership on a predefined event of the rest, like a lawsuit. We just predefine it when we create the, the system. And this is unique only to Arizona, and it's exactly what you need to allow an asset protection trust to actually disconnect from the holding company during that lawsuit or that duress. And this cannot be done with an LLC without exposing you to a claim of prohibited or fraudulent transfers. And so just those things alone are re- is a good list of the benefit of a limited partnership. But just a few others are that the, a- the Arizona limited partnership is perpetual, Whereas every other state that has, you know, you have annual reporting and filings and renewals of LLCs. Arizona doesn't require listing listing the limited partners. You only need to list them if you're the general partner. And so by nature, limited partners also have built-in complete privacy. And then for tax filings, which we've been talking about and kind of hits this question again that was asked, your limited partnership can't be a disregarded entity but LLCs with just one member are automatically considered a disregarded entity. And that's not good for liability issues and lawsuits. So at that second layer, have it as a limited partnership, have all your LLCs owned by that limited partnership. You and your spouse are managing that limited partnership. Your asset protection trust will later on own that limited partnership.
1: So for, for the limited partnership, Brian, what happened... like? When we say partnership, what if I'm just a single person? I'm not. I'm not married and have a, a partner. There's no spouse, and it's just Tony Robinson. Can I still have this limited partnership?
3: You sh- It's a partnership. You need another person involved in it. So, like, ask a sibling or somebody like one percent share, like minimum, minimal, minimal mm-hmm. amount. Um, but you do need another person for a limited okay. partnership, like a business entity, something.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: for our next question, this is from James Fullen. For short-term rentals, do you recommend purchasing under an LLC? What are the advantages, disadvantages? Should the LLC be created prior to finding a deal or can it be created after getting the property under contract and closing with the LLC?
3: That's a great question. I think that kind of like goes into, you know, like what Tony w- was breaking down his situation in the first episode, so like I would link back to when we were going through his situation, but if you mean short-term as in, you know, like Tony was as, you know, like VRBOs and short-term rentals, vacation rentals and things like that. Yeah, put them into an LLC. Um, you can create them before or after. I always recommend preventative planning beforehand. And just it's easier. You already have the LLC, it's a quick transfer, we put it in. You can do it afterwards. That's how most of my clients come. It's either they come with a bunch of real estate all in their personal name and we transfer them into LLCs afterwards, um, or they have the LLCs and then we just clean them up into a, a limited partnership. But the answer is yes, put them into an LLC. You want some sort of limited partnership, get some insurance depending on the number of them and where you're at, then put them under a management company and then a trust depending on your net worth and all of your risk. And then it cleans up your accounting.
1: Perfect. All right. So the the next question here is from Monty. And Monty's question is, as an owner and landlord, What's the best way to protect myself legally as my portfolio grows? I burr all of my deals and I start with hard money, but I was told by my lender that signing my leases under an LLC makes it makes it more difficult to borrow from Fannie and Freddie because my losses count against my debt to income ratio and they can't always consider my profits based on some recent lending changes.
3: Yeah, and that's a great question. And it could affect your ability to go and get, just like personally, I think you can only get up to like 10 personal loans and then people have to start getting really creative lending strategies. Same thing when you have, you know, asset protection planning as well. Some bank and lenders will be, especially you see it more with private lenders because they're not banks. They, you know, if I go to Ashley and say, Hey, Ashley, I need to borrow, you know, and get a loan for $500,000. Well, you're not a mortgage expert, but you're going to go and have your attorney review the documents. That attorney probably is very unfamiliar with any asset protection planning you have in place. So he's going to be scared, or she's going to be scared, whoever that attorney is, and they're going to tell you, Ashley, like, yeah, I probably want to do it. I don't understand the structure. Deal's done. You see it more with private lending. Um, larger banks they'll just want you to divulge what do you have. Okay, it's for asset protection. How's the system set up? Because they're just doing their due diligence on understanding you, who's owning it, and what are you doing. Okay, great, and that's generally going to be the underwriter. So you could see a harder issue with getting loans and bank loans um, as you're growing your portfolio. We like, again, like to use our asset protection trust, our grantor's trust. They're easier to use. If you're not using a grantor's trust as an asset protection planning, you will find a harder time getting a loan because most lenders don't really like non-grantor irrevocable trusts. They're just very hard for banks and financial institutions to use. So that's why we use offshore Cook Island fully, you know, f- formed asset protection trusts that are grantor trusts. we just domesticate them by complying with IRS compliance. Um, so you get the kind of like the best, the best of both worlds and the banks is easy to maintain and manage your, your lending with. Um, so long story short, yes, it could affect it. Um, just talk to an expert and then it all comes down to what type of trust are you using?
0: Brian, one last follow-up. Uh, usually, you know, at the end of the show, we ask uh, where can people find out more information and, and reach out to you. So, kind of to lead into that, do you represent people uh, just in certain states, or are you uh, nationwide?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, asset protection is great to where I can represent clients in every state, and we even represent clients globally. Like I have a client in Spain who's a massive crypto guy who just bought an island off of Fiji, you know, for a crypto investment hub. And so, and then I have clients, you know, in, in every state. And so we have like over 3000 clients nationwide. Um, So it's just the nature of asset protection. Pat, if I were to represent someone in court, I would have to be licensed in that state that I would go and represent, you know, like you being sued in, you know, Virginia. Then I'd have to be licensed in Virginia to cross the bar, to talk to a judge on your behalf. Um, but for what we do as protection wise, we represent everybody in every state.
0: Awesome. That's uh, great to hear. And then, uh, just, uh, where can people reach you then? If they want to get in touch with yeah, you. Yeah. Again,
3: you can reach me at my website, www.btblegal.com. Great informational resource there. and email me directly, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com. And again, like I just like, I generally respond to even if you're not gonna do business with me because you may not be able to afford me, I would just rather you have good information to make a better educated decision.
0: And the goal of all the rookie investors is to be able to afford Brian Bradley by <laughs> uh beca- having successful investments, right? right for asset protection. Yep. Yeah. That's why
3: you're that's why you're investing, you know. Right. So if the goal is to have one million plus, like you gotta be able to You don't pay for the Taj Mahal when you start. You start off small Mm -hmm. and then you scale as you go. And so you just need to understand where you start is not where you're going to be ending. And the same thing with your planning.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated having you on today to kind of give us this insight. I think it's very rare to have an attorney that will actually come on and give as much advice as you did. So we really appreciate that. Uh, I'm Ashley at Wellcrum Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson. We will be back on Wednesday with another episode and make sure you guys check out our YouTube channel. Uh, Just search Real Estate Rookie and you'll find us on there. We put out weekly videos that are tailored just for rookie investors. Thank you guys and we'll see you guys on Wednesday.